Hi, this is Kanike and Alina, your personal supporters that are here to help you feel truly special. We are on a mission to help you understand your dynamic nature and appreciate your unique talents. By helping you balance your yin and yang energies within, we can foster healing in our global community, one woman at a time. If you want to explore the opportunity to work with us individually, please shoot us an email at herlifecompass at gmail.com. That is H-E-R-L-I-F-E-C-O-M-P-A-S-S at gmail.com. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the new episode of Unleashing Her Feminine Powers podcast. I am your host, Alina, and in today's very special episode, we have a very special guest, my friend, role model, inspiration, and a fellow woman from Kyrgyzstan, Aizada Marat. Aizada received her Master's of Law from Harvard and has then worked for some of the most influential companies in the world, such as McKinsey and Cooley. Currently, Aizada is exploring generative artificial intelligence and is a host of Silicon Valley icons. Aizada continues to empower and influence women around the world, but in particular, women from Kyrgyzstan. 20% of our podcast listeners are from Kyrgyzstan, and I'm just so beyond excited for our conversation with Aizada today on the podcast, discussing her journey to self-discovery, fulfillment, and success in all aspects of her life with the intention to inspire and empower our listeners. Hello, Aizada, and it's so incredible to reconnect with you once again after many years. Hi, Alina. Thank you so much. Thank you for your kind words. And I was like, oh, it's all about me. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Sometimes hearing it from someone else hits you differently, you know, but I think because of the upbringing, I don't pat myself on the shoulder very often. But when someone else says it, you're like, oh, it's about me. It sounds nice. <laughs> Especially coming from someone that has followed your journey and also looked up to you for so many years, I feel so honored that you're here. I vividly remember our last conversation at a coffee shop in New York City, and we were discussing life, career, and dreams, and you were still then at Harvard, and I was still in university. And I just remember how influential your presence was to me then as I was pursuing university. So many years passed ever since, and looking back, I would have never imagined that I will be where I am today. It's just sometimes life is about making unconventional decisions. And also life is a journey, I totally agree with you. It was such an interesting journey for myself as well, how I how I evolved as a, as a person, as a woman. Because I think 10 years ago, I was very different to what I'm now. So I'm excited to talk about it all. I am curious, and maybe you can share from your own words on this platform, your journey from Kyrgyzstan to Harvard Law School. Maybe share what were the biggest challenges that you faced along the way as a woman, as a woman from Kyrgyzstan, as women of a minority group, and how you overcame them. I primarily studied at village public schools, and then when I was in 11th grade, my parents actually moved to Karakol, which is like a regional city in Isikul Oblast. So then I graduated from there, from like a city of school, and then I made it to the U.S. with a flex. 
And I think Flex was like life-changing event because I learned English, I came to the US and it was the first time for me to understand that actually some random people care about me being educated, empowered. I was so impressed by like how people were selflessly pursuing this. They would bring people from a developing country. They would place them with American families. They would want us to learn English. They would want us to learn about everything in the U.S. And it was it was incredible opportunity for me. So once I learned English, my my life has changed. Especially I saw the U.S. Uh, where I understood that it was really a merits-based society. Because growing up, I always thought that, how oh, I'm gonna be successful, like, how is it possible? And back in 90s, like I was born in 88, it was a president, Akhaev, and you couldn't really do anything in the country unless you were a relative of Akhaev or somewhat affiliated with the power. My parents kept telling me, you have to study, I would always think like, so what, I study and like, what do I get in Kyrgyzstan, it's so hard to you know to be successful to pursue your career especially being a woman but doing the flex program seeing what was possible in the u.s was very empowering for me so i went back because it was a requirement for a visa to go back i went back i did my undergrad at kyrgyz national university law i've always wanted to study there i was very young and i was very naive and I was looking at all of this, you know, Supreme Court judges of Kyrgyzstan, they all graduated from Kyrgyz National University and I want to be like them. But then, you know, I matured and I understood that a lot of it was very corrupt and whatnot. But then I already made my decision and I graduated from law school and I really wanted to do something for the country. I always had this in, inside of me. And then after graduating, I went to work for a law firm. Like when I was at the law school, I was head of the student senate. I completely reformed the student body system because bribery that happened at the law school was happening through the student body. So I was very upset with that. And I approached the dean and I said, we have to reform the system. This is not how it should work. I've seen how it's done in the US. So I was like, okay, let's do it. I did it. I became the president of the Senate and all sorts of things. And then after I graduated, my dean was always in touch with, with me, Bokov Janabek Akdraevich. And he reached out to me and he said, like, I want to offer you a position of a deputy dean of the law school. When I was 23, how is it possible? Like I'm 23 and he said, that's okay. You know, English, you're going to work on international relations, the relationships with students, whatnot. And I jumped on it. Although like my salary was like $200. It was so minimal. I barely survived because my parents didn't have an apartment in Bishkek. I was renting this apartment almost $150 and so little was left for me to actually live. It was hard times. And I was really trying to do certain reforms at the university, fight with corruption and bribery and all sorts of things. And I was constantly yelled at by men. He's saying like, who are you? You're so young. You don't have whatever PhD. Who do you think you are? You're just some girl. You shouldn't be doing this. I thought I have to do something so that men stop yelling at me in Kyrgyzstan, so that they stop belittling me and saying to me that I'm nothing basically, you know, because I'm not a man of middle age, whatever. Then I thought Harvard it is. When I was in high school, I had those ideas, but it was like a dream. But then when I was National University, I decided to pursue it for real. And I've applied and I got in. And then I thought, okay, I graduated from Harvard and I was hoping that I'll come back. But then life happened. 
when you say life happened, what do you refer to? What were those key things that were life-changing for you? The fact that I learned more about democracy, about feminism, about human rights, about everything. Like, wow, this is amazing. We have to build a democratic society in Kyrgyzstan. We have to give equal rights to women, something that I hold very dear to my heart. Like, I'm a feminist and a lot of people don't get it right. They think that when I'm a feminist, I'm against men, which is not true. I'm just pro-women rights, that I think they should have equal rights and opportunities. And it's up to women to choose. If they want to pursue career, they can pursue career. If they want to be housewives, they can be housewives. Like no judgment, but it's just that it has to be a conscious decision of a woman, somewhat educated decision, that, that's what she wants. But she needs to have opportunities if she wants to pursue career and family all together, like simultaneously, right? So that's what I stand for. So having learned a lot of things, I knew that I need to, you know, further educate myself, that I need to bring these things at scale. And that's why I always wanted to work for the government. I wanted institutions in Kyrgyzstan, but I don't know, like a public advocate, just a civil activist, it's one thing. But when you actually work for institutions, when you can offer platforms for people, to empower people, to empower women, that's what I thought, what I wanted to do. And then like after Harvard, I did some crowdfunding. I raised money. President of Kyrgyzstan gave me money. People supported, friends and family supported. But then after I graduated, I had to return the debt that I took from Harvard. And I worked in London for the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development because immediately after Harvard, I still wanted to work for international organizations. And when I was in the U.S. actually at Harvard, I really tried to work for the Senate. I couldn't because I didn't pass the clearance. They said, you're not a green card holder. You're not a citizen. You cannot work for the government. So then I had my internship at the New York City Law Department. This is when you and I met. And then I also had my internship at Public Advocate's office, but still working for like government agencies without a green card was not possible. And then also because of visa issues, I was on OPT. It is only for one year. And back then, with almost like nine years ago, very little was known about master's degree in law. So I went to uh, work in London. I worked there and then I got married. And this is when life mm -hmm. happened because my husband got admitted to Stanford Business School and we moved to California. But when I'm single, I can decide what do I want in life. But then when I when I have a family, it's all about compromising so that your your significant other can pursue his dreams. And then he compromises. I could no longer just be like, oh, I'm gonna go back to Kyrgyzstan, you know? So we came to California. He graduated from Stanford Business School. I've attended classes at Stanford. I loved it. It was amazing. So when I was attending classes at Stanford, again, I had visa issues. So my life about in the US, it's for immigrants when you don't have work authorization is pretty hard. And I'll, you know, I'll come back to it later. It was very challenging because for almost two years, I didn't have a work authorization to, to actually work in the US. It was incredibly hard for someone like me who is very career di driven. I consider myself pretty ambitious. So not being able to work, it hit me hard. I think like I was depressed, like legit depressed back then, but I didn't even know. So first year kind of was busy, like in Kyrgyzstan for about like seven, eight months. I was able to catch up with my family, friends. We had our wedding, everything was great. And then we moved to the U.S. and for a year, I did not work. I attended classes at GSB. I was looking for a job. I, then I already 
was admitted in New York, but still had to take California bar to practice in California. And it was just incredibly hard. My husband was very supportive, but not being able to work, it was hard for me. I'm also being a lawyer. I couldn't pursue any illegal avenues of making money. I was just not working. I could do some unpaid internships. I was attending classes, but it was the hardest, I think, part of my life. Sometimes I didn't even want to meet people. In the U.S., identity is very much attached to your career. People ask like, hey, how are you? How are you doing? Like, And then they ask, what do you do? Where do you work? It's so natural. It's so natural for people to ask that. Also, my identity was attached to my career. I just was like, Izada, lawyer. Izada, like this. I did not really pursue any other aspect of how to build my identity. Back then, my identity was so fragile. I was also insecure that I was not working, so it was incredibly hard. I, I didn't want to meet people. It was just very, very difficult time in my life. But then attending Stanford, for the first time, I started questioning my career decisions. Why did I always want to be a lawyer? And I understood that I wanted to be a lawyer because growing up, seeing the injustice in in Kyrgyzstan, I always thought that I'm going to defend the poor. I'm going to defend those who are persecuted by this system, right? That that's what I had in my mind. But when I grew up, I realized that the system is very corrupt. That you have to you know, do other things in Kyrgyzstan if you don't want to be affiliated with this corrupt system. So then I came to the U.S. and what's the next step? So then I worked for a law firm. I worked there for three years. And then it was it was pretty intense. Like, I don't know how deep you want to go into like working at a law firm in the U.S. I worked at a law firm. That's when I decided that I did not want to pursue a degree in law. And I think at the time when we met, I was at Pari Cashman. You were exploring the space of, of law firms. You were an inspiration because I wanted to go to law school and I just changed my mind after working for a law firm. Just didn't see that for myself because, you know, sometimes we might idolize something at the beginning and then realize that this is just not for you and this is just not the outlet for your talents and strength. But, you know, I'm curious, you mentioned that you got married and your life has changed, which is so interesting because you are so successful. And sometimes when I was growing up, my mother is a single mom, so she pursued her PhD, but it came at the expense of her personal life. And there was a lot of women in her circle that were single. And I had that idea that if you want to be successful, you kind of have to choose a marriage or a career. And when I met you and my co-host, Khanike, which the reason why she's my mentor is because I really wanted to follow women that beautifully combined both, because that is really the idea of success that I see fit for myself. So my question for you would be, how do you balance your professional accomplishments, your aspirations with personal well-being, also being married? I think, to be honest, it's hard because the expectations of you when you're working, for example, for a law firm, for McKinsey, they didn't give you any discount for being a woman, for being pregnant. Like there's this all-in podcast, all like David Sachs, Chamakapatia, and all the powerful men in the world and Elon, they're sitting and talking and saying like, there is an issue, you know, like women are not giving enough birth anymore. Like in order for women to have kids, at institutional level, you have to create opportunities for women to be, to actually, to feel like they can get pregnant, go on leave, come back, their job is still 
going to be there for them, like job security, right? Like it's incredibly hard. For example, at a law firm, I was there for three years. And to be honest, for all three years, I was pushing pregnancy because I was like, I, the job is so demanding. I was working like crazy hours over the weekends. And if I'm not sleeping until 2, 3 a.m., I just cannot see how my pregnancy could have been healthy, right? So I pushed out, to be honest. Like many years I pushed out pregnancy because I was like, I need to pursue my career. I need to pursue my career. And my husband, he's incredibly respectful of me and of my choices. He's also a feminist. And he said, of course, because it's going to take toll on you. Regardless how supportive I am, it's you who's going to be pregnant. It's who you is going to go on maternity to leave. It's who it's you who's going to give the birth. So let's do it on your terms when you feel it's a good time, right? So I was like, thank you. I really appreciate it. But then looking back, I think like if you're optimizing for your career, it's never a good time, to be honest, right? And I'll be very vulnerable on this podcast and say that like since we've decided that we want to have babies, it's been difficult, right? Like conceiving a baby when you're like after 30s, it's not easy. It's It doesn't come like for some women, it might be easy, but for majority, it's not that easy because all the stress that you've been exposed through years, not sleeping, traveling a lot, working a lot, it's going to take a toll on you. And, and now, like whenever I talk to girls, they're very like ambitious. I also tell them, you know, like, you want to give birth at, at a later point, just please understand that how you know the biological hours because before regardless who told me about picking biological hours i'd be so offended and i'd get in fight with them saying like this is no uterus no opinion it's my uterus i get to decide like you don't get to tell me i wouldn't take any advice right because usually women were who were giving advice they weren't in my opinion, successful career-wise. So I wouldn't take an advice from them, you know? And I was, of course, like I was also young. I think like I, I've i done a lot of like self-growth and transformation in the past. Like, so now I, I've changed my mind. A lot of girls who approach me, I ask them, do you want to have babies? And if they say, yes, I want to, then I say like, choose wisely, think about it. Now the medicine has advanced. You can always squeeze your eggs but know about the option of raising your ex early on. If you want to put that on hold and now you want to work on your career, you know, like just understand your options. Versus with me, I just thought that, oh, I'm healthy, I'm eating healthy, I exercise, I'm young, it's going to be okay. And when I'm going to get pregnant, it's going to happen. And it turned out that it, it doesn't work like that. You know, it just doesn't. So I still think it's a divine process that we have. It's beyond our control. So now, like looking back, I think like I should have done things different way. I don't really regret. I still know that I'm going to get pregnant and everything's going to be okay. So in my particular case, I did push it out. When I moved to McKinsey, I just decided not to push it out any longer. I was like, okay, whatever. I learned my lesson three years. I'm going to, you know, be very clear on my boundaries and what I can do, what I cannot do. And everything's going to be on my terms. But when I decided it, it turned out it's not easy to get pregnant. But I was already like, more protective of my time. I wouldn't work over the weekend. And McKinsey was slightly better in that regard. I was trying to take care of my mental health, whatnot. So after I left actually McKinsey, I wanted to pursue general AI. I'm one of the hosts of Silicon Valley Icons dinners. I decided to found a startup. And a startup is, is about how to make immigration lawyers efficient. 
because immigration is very dear to my heart. Like immigration law firms, they serve individuals. Of course, they serve businesses as well, but they serve individuals. And even individual paying like, I don't know, $10,000, it takes a lot of time for lawyers to actually generate documents. Now, Generative AI has advanced so much, large language models, who could actually help lawyers to be efficient. So I started working on this idea. The idea of a startup sounded incredibly appealing to me because I've seen other women who, who do startups, you know? So doing startups is incredibly hard, like don't get me wrong on that, but there is better control of your time because when you're working for someone and if you have a high ownership, you will constantly keep working because certain people expose their expectations on you, like your boss, whatever, right? I know a lot of women who work for like big corporations and if they have, if they're nauseous, whatever, like during pregnancy, it's so hard because during first trimester, you don't even want to tell people because it's so fragile, right? Like, so you don't want to say it to people and you yet you have to be on calls from 8 a.m. No one takes that into consideration, right? So my friends who've been through pregnancies as founders said that it was actually easier for them. They could push it out 11 or noon, all the meetings, and then they would work in the evenings when they felt better. So startups actually offered more flexibility to them. A friend, I, I, I mean, I admire her. She's a good friend from Harvard Law School. She started her startup, which is called Lemonilo in Indonesia. She's been working on that startup for seven years now, I believe, or eight years. And she has two kids while building a startup. And I mean, her startup, it's, it's a big company now. They're backed by Sequoia. They're killing it. She's, she's incredible. Yet she managed to have two kids. And like, I look at her and I'm okay, this is possible. This is doable. So now I think I finally decided that I'm not gonna apologize for being a woman, for actually bringing a human being to this world, contributing to the economy, because every single woman who gives birth and delivers a baby contributing to the economy because the population is aging and it's going to be an issue, right? So that's why I think like women have to be supported in their, you know, willingness to, because some women, some women decide not to, you right, give birth. So that's why women who decide to give birth and you should be cherished and given opportunities to succeed at work. Because when I talk to women who are successful and who have kids and I've asked them, how did you manage this? Like they said, women, a lot of circumstances, they cannot stand up for themselves because they, they feel awkward about it. But when they have kids, they turn into like a lioness. I'm protecting my kids. I'm doing this for kids. I'm asking for promotion because I want to send my kids for a better school. They have this leverage and they feel more, like they feel more confident of protecting their kids than even themselves. So that's when they were like, you turn into this fierce woman that you did not know you were because you want to provide opportunities for your kids. I want to say thank you for being so vulnerable and sharing such a vulnerable uh, and very sensitive topic and fact about yourself as well. And I admire your social activism because immigration is something <laughs> I've gone through. I am. It's also a very, you know, personal story of mine. I, and another thing that you touched based upon is this identity 
shift that you were going through when you were not working. I can relate to that so much from just a different perspective as a mother. Now I'm going through that transition because I also am very career driven. I recharge when I am pursuing my passions, when I am working, when I have a purpose, it gives me a sense of fulfillment, but also a sense of empowerment that I too am leaving a mark in this world. And I think this is also such a delicate and interesting paradox that women face because being a mother is not enough. We always want to be extraordinary in every aspect of our lives. We can't just settle for one title in our lives. And it's just so incredible to be able to hear you share that. And I can relate to it from a different perspective. One thing that I can say from my very little experience as a mom is that you begin to not have time for a lot of things. So you really have to prioritize time. tasks throughout the day because the majority of the time and you're taking care of a, a little one and I think that in itself puts a lot of pressure on the woman because you realize that you can't accomplish everything that you used to accomplish in your pre-mom era now you only have about 20% of your energy throughout the day to do the things that you love because women have so much power even more power than we often realize about ourselves right now as we approach the end of this episode would be What advice would you give to young women from Kyrgyzstan and other underrepresented communities who aspire to pursue higher education, leadership roles, but also other roles, being a mom, being a wife, whatever she aspires to be? I would say that, you know, pursuing a career, it always has ups and downs. For that purpose, you need to really build your identity around other things as well, because then If your career is taking a hit, you're not going to fall apart. I think like I did. So you have to build your identity and it, so that it's so wholesome that if one thing is not working, falling apart, everything doesn't. So that's what I would before. I never really had outside of career. I didn't have any hobbies. I didn't have pretty much anything because I was just so career focused that I didn't work on any passion projects or anything, right? So now, finally, I've decided that there's always going to be something that I'm just going to do organizing this SBI dinners. I just love it. I like bringing people together. I love meeting incredible speakers. So that's like a passion project, right? And I really recharge when I do it, just like you said. Also, there's this Silk Road Hub innovation where I'm going to be one of the podcast hosts. And it's all going to be about Central Asian startups. So there as well, it's like, That's also going to be another passion project. And then I'm also trying to be proud of the fact that I'm a wife Chinggis. And then I'm going to be a mother. And then I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I just want to have more adjectives next to my name, explore every single avenue and be very different and like wholesome because I just think I didn't have it before. Everything else was like so underdeveloped. I saw this thing. what contributes to your happiness and then you and then you rate every single aspect of your life family relationships friends career money all sorts of things like passion hobbies sport i think i would recommend everyone to think about every single aspect and to always know that it's not only about the career like i thought 
It's about being a wholesome person inside so that whatever happens in life, you're like, you feel okay about it because there's so much more than just your career. So much more, right? So that's why I think like having hobbies, passion projects, being connected to other women is incredibly important. I would also tell them that, you know, when I came to the US, it was hard because back then I didn't really have many women from Central Asia who made it in the US. I didn't know them. Now I think I know more people haven't lived in the US for five years, but back then I didn't. And I just did not know what path I should pursue, how my career should look like. I tried to talk to people from like Russia because I thought maybe I can relate to them. So it's back then it was incredibly hard. Now I think it's gotten better. That's why I created this a professional, female professional from Central Asia on LinkedIn. I just wanted girls to know of the existence of other women in case they want to reach out, go through profiles and talk to that person whom they think could help them in some, in some way. Because back then I just didn't know even any women. Just knowing women that are like you, that have similar experiences, similar backgrounds from the same country, understand certain traditions, understand you as a person. Now I'm kind of returning to my roots. I, I started appreciating a lot of the Kyrgyz traditions, culture, the way of life. Now my husband and I are saying that we want our kids to speak Kyrgyz. They don't have to speak Russian like we do because we want them to speak Kyrgyz. We want them to know Kyrgyz culture. We want them to spend time in Kyrgyzstan because eventually we're going to go back to Kyrgyzstan. So I'm kind of rediscovering my identity, coming back to my roots, just exploring who I am and who is a Kyrgyz woman. We don't have to be like other women. We don't have to be like American women. We don't have to be like Russian women in, in US. Like we have to build that our own identity, what are we bringing to this diverse culture of the U.S. Being authentic and diverse and different, that's what the U.S. is about. I love the accepting culture of U.S. We should, I think, embrace it and we shouldn't really like try to blend in. I think before, when I was younger, I tried to blend in, but now I'm like, I want to stand out. I want to be different. The startup that I'm building, like I want everyone to know that I'm from Central Asia, from Kyrgyzstan, you know, I'm a Kyrgyz woman. I'm an immigrant, so there's so many identities. I also relate to Asian Americans, also immigrant, also from Kyrgyzstan, also a wife of a startup founder. I want to build this like identity that I'm not only this. When I was super young, I was very judgmental of like super feminine girls that were so like pretty. They would wear pink and they would wear heels. And I was somewhat judgmental because in Kyrgyzstan, I thought like, girl, why are you doing that? Because because of you, men are not treat, treating us as their equals. I thought because of you, they're thinking of a certain way. Just please be modest <laughs> and just be all about education because we, they have to respect us. I always, for some reason, thought that we need to get certain acknowledgement from men. They need to respect us. They need to acknowledge us. But as I grew mature and older, I I admire women who, who can do it all, who can look amazing and stylish and beautiful. And their hair is always great. Their makeup is great. They have kids and they're pursuing some passion project. And they're also pursuing their career. I'm like, Wow, this is a super woman to me, you know, like admire differences, different things in women. I, I think I did this personal transformation. I think I'm very, very different now than I was back then because back then 
I just didn't know what should I do in order to be successful. And I thought in order to be successful, you have to be like men, act like men, do everything like men, right? But now I think, no, that's the beauty. Like women bring a different perspective to workspace, to leadership, to everything. Like when we raise Series A, whatever, when we grow, I could literally rent a big office and specifically allocate one room for all the babies of all our employees, right? And have an, a, a staff member who would work for us, but who would be caregiver, whatever. It's like they would take care of the kids so that they would still hang out with their kids during lunch, you know, go for a walk, whatnot. So I would want to create more inclusive environment for for women and for men and so that they spend more time with their family. So those things I feel like I'm more in control of when I'm doing something of my own. Because in a corporate world, you need to first climb up the ladder. And then when you get there, you like you can impact certain rules. But when you're building something from ground up, you could build it all from scratch with a different culture in mind. Like, I'm excited about more women being, being entrepreneurs and being different and not being just like men when it comes to workspace. That is so powerful. I love that message. And I think on that note, we'll wrap up this episode. But I think one thing that I will leave our listeners with today is that there is a power to unleashing our feminine powers because that makes us unique. And that is our sweet recipe to success in all aspects of our life because we don't have to be like men because we're so much more than men. We are different. And there is so much power in our creative energy. And that creative power gives you the ability to birth a human, birth a startup, or birth whatever passion that you're pursuing, because that is what it all about is being a woman and giving life to all of our projects. Yes. Thank you so much, Alina. This has been great, although I was talking the majority of the time, but thank you for your thoughtful questions. It was such a pleasure to see you again and to learn about your journey as a mother and um, congratulations on, on that. Very happy for you. And this passion project of yours, it's its amazing. I listened to a couple of podcasts before, we have a couple of episodes before coming today and I loved it. So best of luck to you and Kaneke. And I hope like this becomes number one podcast for all the generations <laughs> of NUS. So best of luck. I really enjoyed this. Thank you so much, Aizada. And I hope you have a great weekend celebrating your wonderful husband. I'm sure you have very fun plans. Uh-